Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Daniel all the way from across the pond, Mike from across a smaller pond, Ed P and Ed M. Um, before we get into the meat of the show, I did some research and as far as I could tell, we are the only non-Democrats who have not either announced we're running for president or announce we're gonna be announcing we're running for president. So I just wanna uh, do respect to Elon Musk aside, I wanna give each of us a chance to tell the world right now, are we or are we not running on the Republican primary? <laughs> Mike? Well, I'm, well, I'm not sure I'm... where to go with that one, but since Daniel's on the other side of the pond, it'll be interesting if he throws his hat in the ring. Well, um, laws don't seem to mean anything anymore, do they? Or the Constitution. So, exactly. What the hell? I'll, I'll run. Look, Daniel, Daniel, have you ever put on a book flap that you were not born in America? Um, yes, I, I think I did on my first book. I put that I was a, an Englishman. Okay, that's um, clearly a mistake, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No one could ever tell. I, I, so don't worry about it. I mean, he just needs to, you know, come on over and cross via the Rio Grande, and then he's he's all good. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'm lacking, I haven't got any guns. Um, I need to get some gun a gun collection going, don't I? We we definitely have to fix that. That is a severe character flaw. Uh, I definitely have. I have family members that can definitely help you out in that area. All right, Mike, are you? In I of course am on the uh, the Pence train. Of course. I mean, who who wouldn't want Mike Pence as president? Ed, uh, are you announcing that you are not running for president? No, no, I'm I'm supporting Mike Pence all the way. Now, there's a guy with charisma that you really can get behind. I'll tell you. Actually, if they wanted to hide than, behind somebody, it would be Chris Christie. Yeah, even more than Christie. <laughs> the about time Ed put his pants on. Right. All right, Ed, totally if you're running for president? <laughs> if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. The original lines on this show are what make us special. Yeah. I have to admit. And considering how American history is taught, that line was original. Okay, having gotten that out of the way, Daniel, you're over there in Europe. Are we in a world war? Um, not yet. But um, we're, we're certainly in a war without declaring that we're in a war. Putin announced because, that um, you, uh, your leaders are now fair game. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if, you, if I was a Russian, I would consider any Western target legitimate now, to be honest, because they've had attacks on Russia. Um, they've had the um, sabotage of a pipeline. And... They're having a level of um, Western support for Ukraine that is um, equivalent to uh, involved, direct involvement. I mean, just the other day, um, they've announced 700 extra NATO troops, um, boots on the ground in uh, Ukraine. Um, you know, we're, we're basically fighting this war in everything but name. Uh, and, this war um, reminds me of, it reminds me of the Spanish Civil War this proxy war that both sides are fighting, and it's sort of a, a dress rehearsal for what's coming. Well, actually, yeah. it, it reminds me of the Second World War in the sense that the Second World War wasn't a war, right? It was three different separate 
interconnected wars that um, that all kind of converge, right? The, the first one being the war of Soviet expansion, which started in 1917, 1918, where they invaded Poland and ended in, you know, 1988 uh, you know, when the, the empire fell. The Nazi war the didn't expansion. invade in 1917. The Soviets were pulling back in 1917. Uh, with 1918, something like that, they invaded Poland. Um, the uh, They lost, by the way. Um, and they invaded like Lithuania and, and the Baltics at some point too. And in, in any event, they, they tried to expand as soon as possible and, and stopped expanding in 88. And the Nazis started expanding with the Anschluss of, 38 and that ended in 45 and that's kind of what we think is World War II and the Japanese started in like 32 with their invasion of Manchuria and ended in 45 so you know there were three separate wars so what we look like what we look at now is we got one war the Russia Ukraine Western war you know and we're potentially looking at another war the China you know Taiwan Western war. And uh, for all we know, there's a third lurking in the Middle East or in Africa or something like that. That And when all taken together will be World War III. Daniel, I have a question. In England, is this taken at all at any level of seriousness? Do the papers make an issue out of it? Or is it just... No, I, I don't think it is. Uh, um, it, it's very odd in a way because... You know, in the in the 80s, when we just had uh, U.S. missiles based in the U.K. and we were coming to the dying end of the Cold War, there was quite a big um, anti-nuclear movement in the U.K. And there was, you know, there were regular protests and there was quite a large movement. But now the, the, the way the kind of left has shifted in what it's doing um, is that the left are happy to be warmongers now and nobody from the right really has moved over to into that position of opposing uh wars that quite clearly are proxy wars or quite clearly serve no real interest um so there, there isn't you know, the, and the control of the mainstream media again is, is vital on this because the mainstream media is, are all about waving your Ukraine flag and mindlessly supporting the the Ukrainian side with no awareness whatsoever of the build-up to uh, the Russian invasion. And um, the vast majority of people are, are just sort of not even noticing the things our government are doing. You know, the fact that we're sending um, uranium-tipped shells out there is something that I'd say 99% of the British electorate aren't even aware of. Um, so the government can do whatever it likes, no matter how feckless, reckless and stupid. Um, and there, there's very little pushback on it. So the papers are basically ignoring it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they're, they're reporting on, on uh, Ukraine, but, um, you know, I said, recently that, that there's this astonishing difference between the detail you get from independent sources or from what are labeled pro-Russian sources, um, which discuss logistics, armaments, the type of equipment being used, uh, the 
specific brigades, formations, generals, uh, territory, all of that dense, close information is pretty much only coming from independent sources. There's very, very little of it in the mainstream media. And the mainstream media is mainly about, um, you know, Russians are bad, uh, Ukraine is good. That's all you need to know. Um, and and most people aren't digging any deeper than that. On a slightly lighter note, does Tara Reid's defection affect us in any way? I saw that and I thought, what a weirdo. <laughs> Tara Reid, wasn't she the? She's the one that accuses Biden of sexual assault. She says she was afraid for her life, which is believable. But somehow, out of nowhere, it seems, she defected to Russia and she's a buddy of Putin. Which, by the way, years ago, I thought was insane. But after Laser lived over there in Ukraine, um, I'm not quite sure Russia is so horrible. So I don't know. Is, uh, is she Edson's girlfriend? Is she his girlfriend? Snowden's girlfriend. I mean, why, I, I, why would anybody do She's buddy-buddy with Putin. I, it's a pretty She was buddy-buddy with some spy, according to the story that I saw. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I haven't actually seen this one, and that is really bizarre, isn't it? That's, that's the kind of um, something you'd write uh, as a throwaway line in a spoof. Well, yeah, because if I handed that into the editors at Liberty Block, they'd never publish that. That's ridiculous. Couldn't be. Yeah, it, it is yeah. pretty funny. Maybe it's a Babylon B story that's snuck in somewhere. Yeah. But anyway, okay. Um, maybe, um, maybe Stormy Daniels will go out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess the big story to me out there this week, if you guys don't have a bigger one, is the debt ceiling. Yeah, of course. Well, did we expect any, anything less than uh, whereas, as Ed P likes to say, the symbol of the Republican Party should be a cave, that they would cave and we would get absolutely nothing uh, out of this so-called deal? What do you make of Massey not being upset at it? That's throwing me off balance. I kind of agree with Massey. I mean, we have divided government. I mean, that's not his, that wasn't Massey's point. Massey's point was we're going to get back to regular order and they're going to have 12 appropriation bills instead of one omnibus bill, which in and of itself is a good thing. But right. I mean, I, I'm listening to all the people saying that we, you know, we should have insisted on getting everything. We have divided government. We don't even have, we don't even have control. We couldn't Congress. even get rid of the IRS agents. <laughs> How are you going to get, do that? I mean, you have the Democrats running the Senate and you have Biden as the president. I mean, isn't this what we hear all the time? It's always going to be the next time. The next time we'll get it. The next time we'll get it. And the next Boat time. harder. Boat harder. You know? I, I, Kurt Schlichter basically said, look, you know, the, the Republican Party uh, screwed up the last election. And uh, they have a four vote, soon to be three vote majority in um, Congress. And with that, you just don't have the ability to ask for much. Now, I, they asked for, I think, a, a, a spending increase limit on the small fraction of the budget, which is the non-military discretionary. But yeah, I mean, I, I would have asked, I, I, you know, again, my personal line in the sand would have been the extra IRS agents because that's so beyond the pale that that would be my line in the sand if it, if it got rid of them i 
be I told my nose and vote for it. If it didn't, but, I I would vote against it. You know, but, the, the mean, other the other problem is too, even if they get get a deal and it, and it's not half bad, they're not gonna abide by it. I mean, we went through this with the Budget Control Act of 2011 and sequestration, all the they make their little deal, but they they don't ever abide by it. So they're content to just continue on the path to destruction that we're heading towards. And one morning we're all going to wake up and we're going to be over the cliff. Yeah, that's what I didn't understand about Massey. What is this guarantee that we're going back to regular order? Where's that set in stone? Oh, it's just an agreement by uh, Kevin McCarthy to uh, his, you know, more right-leaning Republican colleagues that they wouldn't dump a big omnibus on everybody anymore. And, and, you know, meanwhile, the elephant in the room is all the entitlements, the Medicare, the Medicaid, Obamacare, Social Security, picking time bombs, and nobody wants to touch any of that stuff. I mean, well, didn't DeSantis want to kill it? Isn't that what Trump is saying? Yeah, just like George W. Bush did, right? Yep. You, know, you go anywhere near the third rail, whatever, I mean, Republicans will get torched in the media. We know how this goes. So nothing's going to happen. Right. Like I said, we have divided government. I mean, we're not going to win the whole battle. I, you know, I'm not saying that I support the bill. I'm not saying that it's a good bill. I'm not saying we should dance in the streets about it. But the okay. things that, that we want were just not possible. But we, we've had opportunities and not, and not too far in the distant past. When first Trump got elected, we had Republicans in control of everything. They still couldn't get anything. Because they don't want to get anything. I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, I've been on that bandwagon since uh, Boehner capitulated in December of 2012. Now, didn't McCarthy give them a two-year extension or something? Was that really necessary? Well, the interesting thing is, and uh, this is inside baseball a little bit, but they didn't raise the debt ceiling. Okay. They suspended the debt ceiling. So what that means is that in two years, the debt ceiling will pop back to whatever it is now. But in that time, the government can borrow whatever money it wants. And what the Treasury ends up doing is it borrows way more money than it needs, even more than it needs by selling, you know, if we have a trillion dollar deficit over two years, you'd think, well, we need two trillion more of, uh, of bonds. But no, they'll sell two, three, four trillion dollars worth of bonds as much as they can get away with so that the next time um this sort of thing happens they'll have plenty of money in the bank to spend on uh, absurd programs like debt ceiling purgatory indeed yeah, yeah, i don't know but this is gonna but it's coming up for for the it, the, the next battle is january of 2025 which presumably will have a new president at that time and hopefully a new congress yeah, some sort presumably, of presumably. Uh, I don't know if we can presume that. Gentlemen, we are uh, screwed, right? Because, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, if Biden wins, uh, there's no, um, you know, there's no way the debt is going to be addressed. And if Trump wins, there's no way the debt is going to be addressed. And, uh, you know, I'm not even sure that if DeSantis wins, uh, the debt will be addressed. I, I, yeah, has anybody looked and seen what the 
expenditures in Florida are over the last uh, five years, I'm sure they've gone up through the roof like every other state. Mm -hmm. um, so well, was, whether they have or not, it, it doesn't matter because the president is going to say what we just said. You know, we have a whole bunch of branches of government and I'm just one of them. Yeah. I tried, remember Bill Clinton? I tried harder than I ever tried in my life. So we're, we're, we're except we're, Bill Clinton, except Bill Clinton <laughs> balanced the budget with well, Clinton, not, Bill actually, they really, the they really, they really didn't. The yeah. debt is now so enormous; it's like a super volcano, and uh, you know yeah. the ground is rumbling, but they're still building houses on the slopes of the volcano, and that's going to carry on. I, I think you know I can see Ed's point to to an extent, and I know he's not fully defending the bill. But I can kind of see the point of people saying, well, there's some good in it. I think there is some good in it. It's a slight reduction of insanity. Uh, you know, that's the best you can say for it. But the, the levels are are, are going to blow that super volcano open at some point. Um, it just hasn't happened yet. I mean, really, we only have, what, 10, 12 years or something till Medicare does explode? I mean, at a certain point, it will explode. Well, no, no, Medicare is already Medicare underwater. Is but yeah. uh, the Social Security is the one where it, when it goes underwater, there's automatic uh, cuts in um, benefits. And that is, uh, well, it's, it's hard to say what will happen first, the world ending due to global warming or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Social Security uh, having uh, cuts. But I, I think they're both going to happen around 2030, at least if AFC is uh, to be believed. I mean, there's no way Congress is going to let there be cuts in Social Security, automatic or not. Well, they may get to a point where they have no choice, right? And how would how would they ever have no choice? They'll just suspend. Well, it's, 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 the, the, it's the, the same thing with all the pensions in all the states. I mean, sooner or later, you have to deal with the reality, and a lot of people but, are just going to be up shit's creek. <laughs> They would have to pass some sort of law because the current law exists that it can't go below zero. The the trust fund can't how go long, below zero. How long does it take Congress to pass a law when they all want to spend money? Uh, two seconds. Something uh, like three that. three days. Three well, it takes a second or two to suspend the three day rule. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know, they could say automatic cuts, but no one's letting that happen. Like Mike said before, this is such a third rail. There's nobody serious who dares. To even mention the two hundred trillion dollar debt, who, who was it who said? Who was it who said accurately that Social Security was a Ponzi scheme? Was like back in two thousand eight and got hammered for it. Somebody said uh, some candidate said uh, Social Security was a Ponzi scheme, which one hundred percent is. Um, but uh, I forget who it was. He didn't make it very far. Right. I mean, there's nobody inside who's going to make an issue out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Trump yeah. thinks I'm going to vote against DeSantis for wanting to do something about Medicare and Social Security. That's going to push me in his favor. But I don't think he'll do anything about it anyway, because nobody can. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you have to use the power of persuasion. You have to make it part of your platform. You have to make the case. Exactly. You, have the, you have to get the American people on board. Exactly. Mike, Mike how are you going to get 50% plus one? Of you might not. On board? I, I mean, it's never going to happen. Okay. 
Let me address that. But if you don't, if you, you don't try, if you don't try to convince the people of the problem, then you're never going to win. Stephen, you have to make ask anybody. You you have sons that are about thirty years old. Ask anybody under thirty years old if they think they're ever going to see a dime of social security. There is a huge Our generation doesn't believe that we're going to. There's see a that huge government. younger voting block just waiting for the opportunity to cut social security. And it's just waiting for the right person to come along and make the case, just as Mike is saying. First of all, even, I've if said many true, times even if it's true, that is definitely not enough to swing 50% plus one of Congress. Not and today, all, but you got to make the case. Right, in 20 years, maybe. And by the way, they're going to get the money from Obama. And that's the way this country has been educated for decades. We'll just get more money from Obama. And the, the idea that there is no money is so far into anybody educated in America. I don't know how you can make that case. Anybody who says we're going to run out of money is by definition lying and a right wing far, you know, a nut. They're already saying DeSantis is far more dangerous than Trump. Anybody who touches it is by definition insane. So how do you make your case? You have to, paint the, pit, you have to paint the picture of what is going to happen. I don't think else, the, the, the people that do? deal with it won't be making a case because by the time it needs to be dealt with, you'll already be in disaster, I, th I think. Uh, because before that point, everybody is addicted to it. It's a drug. You know, the politician is addicted to the easy point of saying to people, I've given you this much money. I've given this group this much money. I've given this other group this much money. That's why you should vote for me. The politician is now addicted to that of whatever party. And the public are addicted to getting stuff. Even if it's, you know, their streets are on fire and uh, their lives are, are crap and uh, their basic freedoms are being taken away, they won't revolt about that. What they revolt about is if you say, said to them, we're cutting welfare. Right. That's and by the way, the fix will always be to tax more from the rich. Well, look what happened in France. So they raised the retirement age by two years or something. The country was burning down. Did, did France give in? No, it was, they, it was burning down, not so much because of raising the retirement age, which though that's true. Um, but uh, they were basically giving the bureaucracy the ability to alter benefits without going through whatever the hell is pretending to be a parliament in uh, in France. So um, that that was essentially the real reason is it was taking cuts out of the political cycle and you know putting it into the hands of bureaucrats. But, but you can't make a case because the um, the rabble, is going to be out there protesting and they're never going to accept that. Like I say, they'll just say tax the rich more. Right. So I, just, I don't see how you, yes, you can make a case to 10 more percent of America than you have until now. I don't disagree. But you'll never make it to the majority of Americans because we're too stupid. We think money grows on trees. And by the way, I don't think you can say that that's an exclusively American no, it's not. stupidity because the whole of Europe is functioning mm -hmm. that way as well. Mm -hmm. And why should yeah. we think that? Because it has grown on trees for the last 70, 80 years. So why should we think that? 
Yeah, there has to be some crisis, and that that's change comes with a crisis. And you know, I think there's wow. a five percent chance of the crisis leading to some better outcome, and I think there's a ninety-five percent chance of leading to dictatorship. Nah. That that you know, quote, whilst gotta, you're stroking your cat, does make you seem a bit Blowfield, though. Ed. I I am definitely a, a Bond villain in training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need you need to go like that though when you're holding that cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, when you had a housing crisis in '08, that was the crisis, right? But somehow they invented a whole bunch of trillions of dollars and crisis averted. So they will keep doing that. Well, they kick the can. But, yeah. you know, seemingly we will always be able to kick the can. I don't get it. That can is now a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I can appreciate the uh, cynicism. <laughs> but, you know, on the, on the other hand, I think you do need a strong leader to come forward and, and attempt to make the case. All you can do. It may fall on deaf ears. Yep. Um, but you know, it's, it's either you make you you do or you don't, and you know, you there could be somebody a la Peter Schiff who predicted the housing crisis, and now everybody looks back and says, "Damn it, he was freaking right." And even if you lose the battle in the arena of ideas, so to speak, if if and when it happens, or when it happens, you're going to look like a genius, and maybe people will start to listen to you. It might it might, as Daniel said, it, it may be kind of after the horse is out of the barn. Mike? But you, ha you have to make the case. You have to try to make the case. For some reason, my dander is rising. I seem to remember in the last few years some kind of epidemic in the world when a whole bunch of totally irrational human beings on one side of the aisle were buying into ridiculous conspiracy theories and total whack jobs and going against the science, uh, the scientific consensus. Mm -hmm. And I also seem to remember within the last few months that half the people on the other side have now said, what do you mean? We were always on your side. So why will they be said, oh, you guys were right. We should have listened to you. They're just going to say, we always agreed with you. Randy Weingarten never wanted the schools closed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we've uh, always been at war with East Asia. Exactly. I mean, when you own the media, as I've always said, what are you going to do? Once you own the media... That's what they'll say. Of course, we always said that. It was the Republicans. Just, wait, and I know you won't believe this, but rumor has it, um, Ed Powell and Daniel, you guys know history very well, Ed. I heard a rumor that it's the Republicans that freed the slaves. Never. That was a rumor I heard. I, of course, it can't possibly be true because all Republicans are racist, but... But how many people are, quote, trying to make the case and how many American people who are educated in public schools would dream of such a ridiculous idea? I, and I heard that uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Republican. I heard that, too. And the KKK were Democrats. Mm, indeed. I heard that Martin Luther King Jr. was a was a communist. Now, that's also true. But he was a Republican. Cop. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was all of the above. But the uh, point being that when you, listen, 1984 had it right. If you can rewrite history, you can't be on the losing side. That, that's, again, the scary part. I mean, you know, we didn't talk about DeSantis and Twitter and not to pile on. Was that a brilliant move? Was that a ridiculous move to announce a presidency on Twitter? I guess there's all kinds of angles to that. 
but some people are saying he did that to accentuate the fact that only Twitter is giving you really free speech, even though Twitter crashed and didn't really give anybody free speech. And <laughs> what are some of the best ones you've, I heard the shambles and disaster and what else, what else did I hear? There was a I lot have of- I tell you, as much as I try to think it's not a big deal, it, it's, it is a problem because if God forbid we get woken up at three o'clock in the morning, and Twitter crashes. Now, if I'm him, I would have fired like everybody I've ever met in my entire life. But the point being is DeSantis in essence saying what may be true, that there is no free speech that even has a prayer other than Twitter. And you're not gonna make your case to the American public on Twitter. You're gonna make your case to one of the- uh, Do any I, um, Americans remember the British Labour leader, Neil Kinnock? I certainly do. Joe Biden, Biden stole, stole a speech his, of his, yeah. He's been plagiarizing for years, decades. Yeah. Stole his life, not a speech, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, there, there was a famous, uh, during one uh, of Thatcher's victories, uh, election victories, there was a famous moment when Neil Kinnock um, went for a walk on a, on a beach in conference season and thought that would be a good photo opportunity. And then was was uh, uh, filmed falling flat on his ass in the waves. Uh, he just happened to stumble and and you know fall over. And it was a kind of symbolic moment that that summed up his ineptness. And it is incredibly unfair because anyone can do that, and it's the sort of thing that can happen to him. But it was <laughs> for years afterwards. It was emblematic of, of what a, a kind of. A, um, um, buffoon. Buffoon is the buffoon. word. Wasn't it? Yeah. Our, and, and the defensive launch One second. reminded me of that. You arguably know, our most athletic president in history stumbled yeah. and they never let it go. Gerald Ford. Do we have any other football players who were president? Yet FDR was a rock. <laughs> FDR never, never fell down at when he was standing. <laughs> and, but again, look what the press did. How many people know FDR had any problem and everybody knows Ford was a klutz? Well, but, I mean, wow. two things. Well, first of all, with respect to FDR, FDR was very, he didn't want people to know about his, his disability. It's not that the press was hiding it. He hid it. He didn't want to be known as the, the disabled or at that time, he, he, the crippled president. Um, and as far as the, the Twitter crash, I've got a completely different, I had a completely different reaction than you guys. Uh, to me, it, it was, it was indicative, indicative of a tremendous amount of interest in the DeSantis campaign. I mean, Twitter has millions and millions of users worldwide. I mean, they have large servers in order to, in order for the, for the servers to crash, there had to have been an inordinate amount of interest at that same, at that particular time. So to me, it suggests that's, that that's not very um, convincing, though, is it? That might be true, but it's not very convincing. It's like saying, "Well, I stumbled and fell flat on my ass because someone threw some flowers at my feet because I'm so popular." You know, it, it's like when that's your explanation afterwards, it's not very convincing for people. All people will remember is that you screwed up on something he, as basic. I don't think he screwed up. I mean, if he had gone on Rumble or if he had gone on some minor little platform. Okay, maybe I would think that, but he went on the biggest platform in the world. I mean, 
Uh, to me, it shows uh, that there's a lot of interest in his campaign in his campaign announcement. I agree with it's, you, Ed. It shows there's a lot of interest they, in his campaign. How could they not have been ready for it? But it shows he can't get the job done, which is so sad because DeSantis is a governor who, in my opinion, has gotten the job done on more things than probably any other governor. Does he owned Twitter. How? What do you mean he didn't get the job done? But just compare it. He just couldn't compare, get his message for twenty-five compare minutes. Compare the visuals of that with. Trump's CNN performance and the DeSantis team, their, their whole big selling point is that, that Trump is a buffoon and DeSantis is much more competent. Right? That's their whole big line. I don't think that's their and, whole big line, but that's one of their lines. Yeah. And, and the really unfortunate events with both candidates have shown the opposite, haven't they? I mean... DeSantis has raised a ton of money since his announcement. He, he raised a ton of money in the 24 hours after the announcement. I, I think there was a lot of interest. Voters? Huh? How much from ordinary voters? I mean, I don't have the numbers for you. I know that he, he it was like eight over eight million the first day. I I think that you know we're very early on. Right now, Trump is uh, trouncing DeSantis in the polls of all of the early states. Um, I, I think I, I want to see some of those polls. Has... I, I, I'm going to push back immediately on that. I, I want to see the methodology because somebody gave me the Emerson Group poll, and I looked at the methodology, and the methodology showed that it was almost 80 percent Democrats voting, or, or that were surveyed, and the people that were surveyed were going to vote either in the Democrat caucus in Iowa or not go to a caucus at all? No, so, I mean, I hear you. All the polls are fake until the last few days before the election. Um, so I, I get that. But I I also understand that DeSantis um, has to spend a lot of money introducing himself to the voters in the early states. I think that he's going to have a lot of money. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the billionaires um, that backed Trump uh, are now backing DeSantis. In fact, I, I tend to think Trump doesn't really have enough money to do a primary run because he doesn't, he, you know, all of like Sheldon Adelson has passed away, but his wife is, is giving Sheldon's <laughs> ill-gotten gains to DeSantis this round. And, and Sheldon was good for like a hundred million to get Trump uh, nominated, which is not, you know, non-trivial amount of money. So I don't quite know who's backing Trump right now as far as, you know, super PAC stuff, but DeSantis has a lot of money and he just needs to spend it along with his, you know, going places and meeting people. He has to spend it strategically. And I think it that could bring him up in the polls in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and whatnot. Um, I don't, I haven't seen him do this, but then again, it's very early. So well, time will tell. And I'm glad you're saying what you're saying, because as I've said before, these polls are so ridiculous. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you can't be up by 300,000 points. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So I hope you're right on that. I think, again, what's so sad is most Americans have no idea what's going on. The fact that anybody doesn't know the good stuff about DeSantis says a whole, a whole bunch about the idiots in this country.
I mean, he's not exactly hiding what he's doing down there in Florida. So if you're a Republican, why uh, do you need to be introduced? I think Republican primary yeah. voters do know, especially the right. ones in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, and South Carolina being Trump country. But I think that the primary voters all know it. And I think that, you know, Trump thinks he's riding high right now, but his biggest line of attack is, I mean, his two biggest lines of attack, number one are that DeSantis is too extreme on abortion. And I don't think that's going to sell in a Republican primary. I mean, I just don't. I, I happen to be closer to Trump's view on abortion than DeSantis's view on abortion. But I don't think that I don't think that Trump is right on that. I think it's a foolish gambit on his part. And, and the second thing that he's that he's doing is he's accusing DeSantis of being a rhino and a globalist. And I mean, that's just not going to sell in a Republican primary either. I mean, oh, it may they're make... both doing that, aren't they? And, 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 and on the first well, argument, whether so, we agree with him on abortion or not, the argument is that DeSantis is unelectable in a general if he sticks to six weeks abortion. And that is a it's a cogent argument. I mean, it's not a cogent argument in a Republican primary. I mean, you go into Iowa, the, the bill that, uh, you know, the, the law that DeSantis signed is almost identical to the one that Tim Reynolds signed in Iowa. And he's he's attacking I mean, that same that same language. But you I want mean, to vote for the electable candidate. And if he can convince people it's a great stance. I wish every state had it, but he's not electable in a, in a national. I, I mean, I, I have to wonder what Trump's team is, is doing in terms of. I have to wonder whether there's a Trump team. He's now pissing off Kaylee McEnany. I mean, he's the only I, smart I, person he had. I suspect that once they start digging into DeSantis's congressional voting record, he's going to look like a lot of the other Republicans <laughs> that are. Yeah, but I don't know there. if that's going to matter, by the way. I, I know to me that wouldn't matter. <sighs> I mean, he well, he's got to figure he's got to figure out better ways of attacking him, calling him sanctimonious. I mean, it's not. Well, wasn't um, DeSantis so, one of the founding members of the uh, Freedom Caucus yep. in the House? Not only that, but Thomas Massey put out a clip a couple months ago where Trump was was attacking, was praising Paul Ryan at the exact same time that DeSantis yeah. was fighting the Paul Ryan budgets. I mean. What what could Trump's best lines of attack on DeSantis really be? That he's just not ready. He's 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 not. He doesn't have the experience to be the president. That's a lousy argument in light of a Obama and b Donald Trump. Donald Trump cannot run on experience. That's ridiculous. I I mean he's he was the number one least experienced. He can't run on experience, but he can run on achievement. He, no, but he can't run saying DeSantis has no experience as an executive because Trump had no experience on the world stage. What? On the world stage. What, what experience did Trump have on a world stage? I think Trump was just a different animal, though. No, but he can't make that argument. It's a, he, he can't make the argument. He had no experience. It's like Obama oh. saying you have, you have no experience. Well, you didn't. Need of course, that. he can make the argument. He can make the argument that DeSantis was following. Uh, Fauci's guidelines while he was fighting Fauci all the way. He can make that argument. Well, it's totally, it's totally untrue, but he can make it. You know, it's completely untrue. I think um, the big thing is that DeSantis has really admitted he was wrong, opened up stuff, and is now not pimping the vaccine super hard anymore. Whereas Trump, as Ed Maslish mentions every day, Trump is still pretty silent about it or insinuating that he did a great thing with Operation Warp Speed Corona Fascism vaccine mandate, and he's not admitting he was wrong, which is really... No, 
I so think Trump's best it? line of attack on, on DeSantis is to call him slick because he does seem very slick to me. You know, he's, he's a politician for better or for worse. He, he's too polished. He says the right, he says what you want to hear. If I were Trump, if I were advising Trump, that's what uh, I would. Act Trump, on. Trump is kind of the same way in a, in a way. No, right? Trump would say he's the opposite. He said a lot of things that anything. people wanted to hear too. Trump, will, Trump can say, I'll say anything, and I don't give a damn who, who agrees or disagrees. Yes and no. Trump says what you want to hear also. Trump talks. He throws red meat to conservatives, too. I, I think he does both. Sometimes he says things that are not. Yes, but he's not polished. Or... He's not polished. That's, oh, definitely that would not. be my yeah, line cool. of attack on him, that, that he's this Washington guy. You know, he may think that he's coming from the outside, but. He's been he's been groomed to be a Washington politician in his whole. Yeah, life. I, I don't know. I, he can say it. I think DeSantis has better outside. Uh-huh. I have to tell you the uh-huh. thing Trump said this week that's going to stick in my craw the worst, which may or may not matter nationally, is when you say Andrew Cuomo did a better job with COVID, <laughs> and we live here in a state where Andrew Cuomo probably murdered tens of thousands of who people. Who said that? Who said Cuomo did better than who? Trump said Trump did. Cuomo did a better job. Than, than DeSantis wow. did with COVID. That, you, it's so you, ridiculous you, that he was crying. Yeah, I mean... How is that going to sell in a Republican primary, uh, Stephen? I don't that's think it's going to sell at all if anybody ever hears about it. Although, of course, in New York, there is no Republican primary. I mean, if I'm DeSantis, to make that commercial and air it in Iowa and New Hampshire and South all Carolina. All he's got to do is show that empty ship that was docked off of New York City where nobody ended up going... No COVID patients that ever went. I, I think um, both both teams are attacking uh, with probably not the best weapons, aren't they? Like both both teams are trying to make out that the other one is the establishment figure. That that's just, they're ah. essentially both saying I'm the outsider and he's the establishment. Um, I mean, and I, that's I not going to stick to Trump, and it might not stick to DeSantis either. Um, can I ask Alu a question? Alu, you're a boxer, an amateur one, but a boxer. Isn't this very much like when you first get in the ring and you're literally just feeling out for the first few minutes? You mean DeSantis Trump? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think Trump is not using any kind of logic or sense or traditional whatever. Um, he's not the you know. He would be the guy who comes out swinging or doing um, 360 backflip punches and doing weird stuff. Um, so he's definitely untraditional. Um, whereas DeSantis is Lomachenko, who looks and acts perfect. I mean, he looks the part. He's, he's I, I mean, like, like Ed said, he's polished. Ron DeSantis, when a movie or a Netflix show has the politician in Netflix in the House of Cards, the perfect Republican candidate, it was... It was Ron DeSantis. He looks the party as a suit. But I, know, I mean, exactly. in the sense that does any of this matter now? It's the first round, and they're just not yet. That's all not much. Matters. He's he's polished though, but he's dull. He's incredibly dull. He Someone is- mentioned that the other day that he's not the most interesting and uh, passionate and animated speaker in the world. Um, and I think he's not the most animated speaker in the world. I, I don't think he's quite that bad. But if someone were to say. You know, he's a bit boring or monotone speaking. I, I understand that. Um, you know, what I don't him. understand on this sub- subject, and it's something I didn't understand with W, you know, or or with his dad or or um, anyone, is public speaking is such an important aspect of a politician's life. And you can learn it. It can be taught to you. You'd have to be completely dense and autistic. Not to be able to learn 
public speaking. All you need to do is hire somebody. And there and are do plenty you think of people. That bad? Uh, oh, yeah, I think DeSantis is terrible. Uh, well, not terrible. Mm, um, I think I, I give him a C plus maybe at public speaking. But I, I would he, love he to. He's better just, than Bush. I would love him to just hire an actor. Hire James Woods. A great actor. And well, work for a couple of weeks on on acting, on on speaking. You know, I, I mean, how hard could it be? I would play, take the opposite approach. Um, he, he seems like he's the mature adult in the room compared to Trump, who's who's a baby. Um, DeSantis is the mature adult in the room, and he speaks like it, and he speaks, you know, kind of like Ed Maslish, like matter of factly. Um, and yeah, sometimes gets a bit more animated and stuff, um, like Ed also, but like speaks matter of factly, like the adult, says the facts, and says yes. We're kicking the left's ass, and it's awesome. And he has some energy, I think. I don't think he's that bad. I've heard people say this a lot. Another well, you know who, the other day who also uh, could uh, should hire um, uh, James Woods or or Adam Baldwin or, or something it, it is Ted Cruz. I mean, there is a guy who can think straight, and he has the right words to say, but he does it in such an absurd sing-songy manner. It's like you can change and get better and, and yet nobody thinks that none of these politicians think to do that on public relations consultants etc is i have to leave in a second but can i talk about guns for a second oh I, I want to ask daniel jump a question first of all that's a no so i guess you're in there <laughs> <Yeah. Okay>. is palu <laughs> stroking his child more or less james bondish than ed p stroking his cat that's all i want to know where the well, cats it, are. It, it, I'm sorry, Austin Powers. That's Austin Powers. Yeah, as as a um, you know, I think when it's your own child, it's fine. <laughs> okay, I'll go. If it was a random child, I'd start to get worried. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to share my screen real quick. I want to show you guys um a very simple <laughs> thing about understanding federal gun laws. No, oh, God, that's going to take a while. And, and I wasn't done. It's very simple. Just look at the pictures. This is uh, how federal law um, uh, describes uh, the various things. And some of them are legal. Some are legal with a super duper uh, tax stamp and background check fingerprints application thing from ATF called a tax stamp. With from It's an NFA item. And some are like pretty much totally legal. Um, yeah, very simple. Just, you know, um, so that's not a pistol. That's a pistol. That's a pistol. That's not. That's a pistol. That's a pistol. Whatever. That's not a rifle. You know. So things you might think is a rifle is not. Anyway, for those following this, now Ed Powell might be a little bit, I'm following a little bit the basics of this. Um, the the ATF, which as you know, is legislators. You might think they're regulators, but they're everyone at the ATF is actually a legislator. So they can write laws, they can pass laws. Um, and they, they decided, what's that? No, keep going. They decided that the pistol brace yeah, is- They think uh, they're turns. legislators and everyone in Congress is too busy raising money and campaigning. So- ATF acts like legislators. They decided that um, something that they they called rifle, they called pistols, which is uh, this guy over here. If it's a rifle and the barrel's under sixteen inches and doesn't have a full stock, it has a little blade and a small stock like this guy. They they call it a pistol. It's it's called um, just referred to as a pistol in the laws. Anyway, a lot of people have AR pistols. It's an AR lower. It's built like an AR, but short barrel. And it's called a pistol according to federal law. Doesn't require tax stamp or anything. Now. Someone created something called the brace a few years ago, and Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, it's called the brace, which allows people, especially disabled veterans who have only one arm, paralyzed in the other arm, or blown off by some of the ridiculous foreign intervention wars that we fight, 
it allows them to have an AR and grip it by having it well, on there. Yeah, it wraps around the forearm. Wraps around the forearm with like the Velcro and it's gripped and then you can hold it because holding an AR with one hand is hard, but it's kind of wrapped around your forearm and it's called a pistol brace. The ATF put out, sent someone a letter. Someone sent them a letter, which they do in, in these things. A company made pistol braces. I think like 20 to 40 million were purchased. So a lot of people bought them um, to make it easier to fire an AR pistol. They sent a letter saying it's not an SBR. It's not anything wrong. Totally legal. Then they went back and forth and said, yes, they know, and yes, they know. Then the ATF put out a rule, comment period, BS, they don't care about the comment period, put out a rule. It ends today, I believe, is the last day. And a few days ago, they went back and forth and said, no, it is illegal. And if you have it, you have to turn it in or destroy it, or we will send men with guns to your house, and they will make sure you're in prison forever or dead because it's an NFA item. Um, then I think a few days ago, a court, I believe the Fifth Circuit Court, a federal appeals court, put an injunction but I just read that sort it applies. Of. What's that? It'll, yeah, it, there are two injunctions, um, but they only apply to the members of the, the two plaintiffs. groups that yeah. yeah. So I just sent you an email a few minutes ago, guys. The, the Firearms Policy Coalition, they're one of the good groups better than the NRA as far as pro-freedom. They and probably some others had a lawsuit going for a while, and it's super complicated. But a, a federal appeals judge just put out an injunction, but it applies to the plaintiffs who did the suit, who have pistol braces, who don't want to go to prison for having an illegal gun, according to the ATF. Um, but it applies to FPC members, and FPC just updated their policies to say for 20 bucks, you could be a member, meaning you're covered by this big blanket, essentially. So I would love feedback from the two Eds and from everyone else about all of this stuff and how much do you love the ATF. And did any of you guys know, because I think you're all pretty stupid. You guys didn't know ATF was legislators. You thought they were bureaucrats, right? But they can actually pass laws. It's pretty cool, right? Well, let's uh, let's review uh, the, this uh, pistol brace and the uh, this ban and the... Uh, um... The bump stock ban and who who started it and that was uh, Donald Trump. J. Trump. He wanted the bump. Now you know I, I don't want to get into the technical aspects of what a bump stock is, but it's uh, certainly not a machine gun, which is what the ATF ruled it was. And the same thing with these, um, you know, pistol braces turning pistols into uh, short barrel rifles. Um, that that's that's absurd. Uh, but Trump went to the ATF and said, you know, even though you, uh, even though you uh, uh, have approved pistol braces in the past or, or bump stocks in the past, I want you to go and overturn that ruling and rule uh, completely arbitrarily that, that bump stocks were machine guns. And the ATF dutifully did it. And now, you know, they've been shown that they've, you know, taken a foot and now they're trying to take a mile. And and it's gonna it's not gonna end with this, right? It's it's um, they're trying to go after uh, you know eighty percent receivers, um, where you make your own gun, make your own rifle, make your own pistol. They're try they're going to go after um, you know like they did uh, you know quote unquote cop killer bullets, um, as if there's some bullets that just Hollow bounce points. off a cop, that just bounce off cops, but other bullets kill them. Um, they're they're going to go after all sorts of things, and what they're going to what they are doing, and what they continue to do is go after um, gun sellers and you know throw the book at them if they have any paperwork errors, and that's the that's typical ATF. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be first on my list of of government agencies to dissolve if I were president, but it would be in the top three. Um, top three. Huh? Ed Maslish the. the the ATF being a federal agency, being able to make these things that really are laws, let's all be honest, it's a law, it's not a regulation, it's a law. 
Um, can you speak to the, the Chevron deference, the EPA stuff about how much power the Supreme Court um, have decided that federal agencies have to make laws? And where does that stand? Because I keep forgetting, was there a case or not that was decided recently that totally clawed back at the, the Chevron deference that granted agencies full carte blanche to do everything in the world? Well, the Supreme Court granted certiorari on a case that's challenging the Chevron deference. So it hasn't been decided yet. I thought this year or last year there was a case decided. Well, I mean, they, they've they scaled back the power of the EPA. I mean, they just came out with that decision on the wetlands. They came out where, where the EPA was basically saying that if you get a puddle on your property, it's a wetland and they can regulate your whole property. They also upheld the um, California Proposition 12 which uh, the California voters basically put in place that said uh, it had to do with uh, how how hogs, how pigs had to be kept in order to be able to sell the, the pork in, in California. Uh, they basically allowed the voters to do that. Um, the Supreme Court is giving signals that, that they're sympathetic to reining in Chevron. Uh, Chevron was a case decided in 1984 that basically asks two questions. The first one is, did Congress speak directly to the issue or is there an ambiguity in the law? If Congress spoke directly, then you have to follow Congress's word. But if there's an ambiguity, then the second question is, is the agency's interpretation a reasonable one? It doesn't have to be the most reasonable one. It doesn't have to be the best one. It just has to be a reasonable one. And if it's reason, if it's a reasonable interpretation of the statute, the courts defer to it. And honestly, I'm not sure how I disagree with that. I mean, I'm not sure I want courts second guessing the agencies. I mean, to me, the battle really is whether the agency should exist in the first place and whether agency rulemaking is legitimate in the first place. But if we're going to have agency rulemaking, I mean, it, are we going to have courts just overturning it? I mean, on, on what basis? It's arbitrary. I don't think the quote rational basis test, first of all, has any historical, um, you know, legitimacy whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, most of them are held up on the rational basis test, and that that's something that has to be. I mean, what was the one about the guy who grows on wheat? I forget that one. The famous case. Wickard um, v. Pilbert. Wickard versus yeah, Pilbert. Wickard, Again, it was the worst Pilbert, thing in the right. universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what has that have to do with the constitution? There's no, you know, they're, they're just trying to, uh, um, you know, obfuscate stuff to get arbitrary laws. I, 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 I see them as our, as our, um, uh, friendly neighborhood rabbi can, I, I read the other day that the American code of constitutional interpretation bears as much resemblance to the original constitution as the Talmudic scholars arguments bear to the original Torah. That's what he wrote. I'm not an expert, but um, but it makes sense in the sense that, you know, there's five books of the Torah and take up a couple hundred pages and, and there's, you know, 25 volumes of the Talmud all, you know, talking about it. And that's kind of what we get with our our uh, you know case law, which I would say it's sometimes... more like the cat in the hat compared to the Torah. That's how far off it is. Yeah, it's com completely, you know, completely off, you know, completely off in the field most of the time, and all these so tests with, and whatnot. With the this pistol brace thing and Maslich, I don't know if you would, and Daniel, you can't even talk about guns. I'm sorry, 
Um, but Mike, I don't know if you've been following. You gotta come over, that. Daniel. We'll take you shooting. Yeah, well, I'll take you shooting. Um, yeah, so, I, I've only done it once, and I loved it when I did it. Um, I did it on my honeymoon. We went on a shoot. Awesome! A great skill to yeah. learn when you're getting married. Like, really, <laughs> yeah, and, really. And, and interesting little. Yourself. We, we <laughs> found that my wife bunches her shots all around the groin. Is that what they call oh, a shotgun um, wedding? <laughs> when so far off the rails, I'm gonna have to tell Rumble to cancel us too. So, so with this case, as far as on on the uh, Chevron deference, and as far as the um, agencies having a lot of power or the Second Amendment, will this go to the Supreme Court and the uh, appeals court injunction? What does that mean as far as will it go to the Supreme Court next, or what are the chances, and what do you think will happen if it does? Well, I don't know about the the gun case, but I know that the Chevron the challenge to Chevron is going to be heard by the Supreme Court, I think, in November. And we'll get a decision during the primary season next year, most likely. Um, I have a question. Since we have Daniel here, and we're privileged to have him here, and he's from across the pond, where there is no 2A, first of all, how strange is this whole discussion to someone in a country where you don't have gun rights? And do you think that Britain would be better off being the Wild West with everybody killing each other on the streets except for in Chicago? Or what do you think? Um, I, I, I would say, you know, my perspective is that um, if you already live in a country where a large number of the criminals are armed, it's very sensible for you to want to be armed. And, and that's a, a kind of aspect of it that most people in Europe, I think, don't uh, take into account properly. Um, I can see the kind of historic attachment from the militia days to, in the US to, to being on, but I'd, I'd say that the argument that um, the existence of gun rights preserves your other rights has been kind of disputed by everything that's happened um, in recent years, hasn't it? Because well, you know you, you're you're living in a, a two-tier law system now. Um, you know, if you if you look at you know how Black Lives Matter are treated compared to how the Oath Keepers are treated, um, you've got a completely two-tier legal system. You've got um, federal agencies, uh, particularly the FBI, acting lawlessly themselves. Um, That's number one on my list. The, the fact that the civilians have guns has made no difference to that absolutely no difference has it well has it? it's kind of hard to sit i mean you have to be able to imagine what the world would have been like if we didn't have guns i mean we might not have any uh, we might not have any liberties whatsoever that's a good know. point look at australia and britain and some other really tyrannical places it would be worse but i the point is well taken by daniel people say because the second amendment keeps us free uh we're not that free so <laughs> but yeah it'd probably be even worse ed is right too like we look more like Australia. I think that the whole this whole question ignores the fact that Americans have had hundreds of millions of guns for our entire history, and we've only had a problem for the last thirty to fifty years. And and to me, it's the the biggest cause of the of the problem is not the proliferation of guns, which have always been there, but it's the proliferation of pharmaceuticals. And and you know, I think big pharma is is poisoning us. And at the same time that they're poisoning us, we've shut down the mental health clinics and made it impossible to get mental health care. So we're creating more crazy people 
more hyper crazy people who have no place to go and then they get guns in their hands. Well, of course, you're going to have a lot more shootings. We didn't have shootings in the 50s and 60s, but we had lots of guns back then. Well, the, the amount of um, mass shooters who've been prescribed depression medication is astonishing. Yeah. Yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to go to the big pharma and to the whole depression and medication angle. And I guess this is my conservative side uh, bubbling through. We don't have any repercussions for people who hurt people with guns or kill people with guns. And until you do, why shouldn't people kill people? So it, it's just that simple. If there were public death penalties after one trial and one appeal within six weeks of when the crime was committed. The crime rate would go down, period. So we don't have a justice. The crime, the crime rate would go down, but I don't think that the mass shooting rate would go down. Um, yeah, that, that that's a, a little bit of a more if everybody who shot somebody were dead, of course it would go down. So yeah, the mass There's shootings a, are not the the big number of people killed are not by mass shootings. The fifty people right, shot in Chicago true. every weekend are because we have zero law and order. Drugs. If you shoot oh, somebody, insane. here's the deal. Gangs and drugs. If you are a total law-abiding citizen who by accident leaves an empty shell in your car, gets pulled over by a cop for a broken taillight in New York, you can be hauled into jail for some illegal possession. But if you're a gangbanger in Chicago who shoots somebody and maims or kills them, they will bargain you down to a misdemeanor somehow. So we don't have a justice system that hands out repercussions. That's how I look at it. Well, again, there, there's addressing real crime criminals versus dealing with people who are mentally disturbed. And all the ingredients that, that go into to that person, you know, deciding one day to take out a gun and, and just, you know. I don't know. Mike, that, that gets to mentally disturbed people are not necessarily suicidal. And if there were repercussions, they still wouldn't do it. Mentally disturbed people are not stupid, by the way. And if you ask well, somebody in prison, which I have. Would well, there's, there's a reason that they go to gun-free zones like schools. I mean, exactly. I understand Listen, that. Not, they might not be stupid, in prison, doesn't mean they're not mentally disturbed. They may be mentally disturbed and they're sociopaths, but when you ask them, would you break into a house if you thought the owner had a gun, they look at you like you're insane. So the point is, if there were repercussions, I think they would knock 50% of it down. The problem is, you know, and now some people say, I know Ali wrote this in his book, if it's true or not, that if you take the five cities with the most gun crime away, we don't have all that much gun crime, but we don't care about gun crime in Chicago, for instance, mm -hmm. which I don't know how anybody even lives there. Of course, I'm from Baltimore and I don't know anybody, anybody lives there. Right. But Ed, Ed, I mean, Daniel, I think the 2A issue isn't so much the militia thing is we're a country formed before there was a government, the way I look at it. And we had a freedom and we don't let anybody take it away. Everybody else had no freedoms and clawed a few back from a king somewhere. So as far as we're concerned... You had a king, you just betrayed him. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants to come over here and shoot with us, Ed P. <laughs> Are you going to wear one of those red coat things too? Oh, I love those. I love those. I'd wear that all the time if I could. Do you shoot on the wrong side of the target? <laughs> Sorry? You shoot on the wrong side of the target? Yes, I do, yeah. Can Just you shoot in England? Is there such a thing? Is there? Can you go to a range in England? Yeah, there's, there's shooting ranges here. 
Um, they're not that common. More common is probably that people do for fun is clay pigeon shooting. People go and do that a fair bit. But um, it's, you know, fairly rural activity. But no, the, the, the kind of familiar, familiarity with guns that a lot of Americans have is, is very rare in the UK. Yeah, and probably most of Europe. Yeah. If we want to kill someone, we need to really mean it and, and do it close up, you know? <laughs> Got to advocate for that knife, knife control, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, um, you know, you can't stop and search people. Who, and and who given how and, and given how poorly English cooks uh, make roast beef, banning knives is just absolutely sharp knives. Absolutely, the most awful thing I could imagine to inflict upon the country. You know, the French used to call us les roast beefs. That that was the French yes. term. Yes. Last time I was that's a stupid story. Last time I was there, the uh, my host. Um, because I went for business, took us to a very nice restaurant, um, very atmospheric, you know, and I ordered the beef. And Can I was, say? Eh, no, no, no. It was a really nice restaurant, you know, with, with waiters and jackets and everything. It was, it was fantastic ambiance, but the roast beef was not so good. So then the last night I was there, I went to Outback Steakhouse, which was across from my hotel, and that beef was fantastic. I'll tell you, that was amazing. So uh, maybe... Uh, so thanks for expanding your carbon footprint. They, no, they I, had I, a show I, over here that, that had, <laughs> um, it was a few years back, and they had these people from this uh, very remote Polynesian island, and they brought them over to the UK, and they had them spend like a week with a working-class family, a week with a um, middle-class family, and a week with an upper-class family. And these Polynesian islanders were like, you know, people who wander around naked and, and everything, really kind of uh, a traditional. And so they were kind of amazed at everything and, you know, looking at everything. But when they stayed with the uh, with the, the working class British family, they, they said, we're going to give you a, a traditional working class British meal. And they, they the next thing you see, they've got KFC buckets. <laughs> <laughs> You heard, you've and heard they the story. followed that up with a chocolate fountain, and that was. You, you've heard the story that, that in um, in Japan uh, they really didn't have any Christmas traditions. So the uh, the colonel uh, went over there and and almost single handedly started this Christmas tradition in Japan of of having uh, you know KFC chicken um, as a Christmas feast, unlike you know. You know, rather than roast beef or goose or, or turkey. And this whole huge KFC industry was created in Japan, and it's all very Christmassy. Yeah, <laughs> that is well. Anyway. I don't know I, how we got from guns to that. Um, I, I have to go to uh, Hawaii in a couple of months for work, and, and I've just looked up, and it's uh, a 1,002 kilograms of co2 will be released just on my round trip ticket to honolulu about a thousand kilograms that's like 2200 pounds um so what am i to do am i to burn all this this carbon dioxide in, into the atmosphere or or should i just stay home and 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 quit my job and huddle around the cats for warmth isn't it okay if you send 
just send money to Al Gore? Indeed, indeed. When he's not getting it from, you know, oil and gas. Yep. I can't wait till the end of the world from global warming. It just will greatly simplify our political lives. What didn't we get to today? A lot, but what's on your mind? Well, first I want to congratulate Daniel on his new book. We should be promoting that for him, right? You want to talk about that, Daniel? Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. This is your time. Yeah, in September, uh, my second book comes out. Um, it's going to be published by Post Hill Press, and it's um, Gates of Hell, uh, Why Bill Gates is the Most Dangerous Man in the World. So, uh, Love it. Ho hopefully lots of people will want to read that. Well, you sure know how to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us here want to read it, that's for sure. Wow. So I want the audio book narrated by you, Daniel. So get hopping. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll get someone with a nice voice to narrate it, not me. But... You didn't. You didn't use Chat GPT or anything like that to write the book. I just want to make sure. No, no, no. Chat GPT can't do my style. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to audition to be your narrator, da Daniel. You want to be my narrator. I'd at least like an audition, yeah. Yeah, you, you'd be, do a great job, Ed. I'd be very happy with that. <laughs> I just want to know how you're going to top your first book. I, I think we need to get a, a drag queen to do the narration. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm out. We, we, need, we, need, we need to inject a, a little bit of woke, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a single trans friend. I don't know where I'm going <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I that have a trans friend. Uh, I, my cousin is is trans, and uh, he, <laughs> who is now allegedly he, just graduated from uh, college. And if you saw the picture of this little girl when she was 14, 15, and the horror, the horror that she looks now, you, you would be absolutely shocked. Absolutely shocked. Receding, or all her hair is going. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, um, you know. Yeah. We and, can hardly uh, complain scrag, about that one. Well, the scraggly beard, and, and and she's like 21, and it's a disaster. And it's so it, um, it's, she, her entire life is ruined. This kind of dovetails into one story that I shared with you guys. I want to touch on real quick, but you know, there's all this little crap going on with Target and all that. But I missed that the, the Los Angeles Dodgers actually had some drag queen. They had a drag queen night, and they were dressed as nuns, right? And apparently, I think there was, I don't know if there was like one of them like on a cross or something. It was like totally insulting towards uh, Christians, Catholics. And to his cre credit, uh, Clayton Kershaw, the, the star future Hall of Fame pitcher of the Dodgers, sounded off on it. And now I think they're going to have like a Catholic night or something like that. But it just boggles the, the mind. I, what, what, I think they should, if they're going to have a Catholic night, they ought to have. A priest as the umpire over yeah, on home. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mike, I'm not worried. They're going to get their comeuppance because next week they're going to have a, a Muhammad night. Yeah. And I'm sure the Muslims will take it very kindly. I mean, you just can't keep up with the. Did the, did the Pope react to this at all? Did Major Cardinal oh, I'm sure. react yeah, to this? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I think the Catholic League may have sounded uh, off on it. But, but uh, that, that segues into the Target story, doesn't it? That nobody's mentioned. 
and uh, and the fact that they hired a um, a designer stroke illustrator who was a Satanist and trans to um, design some clothes for them. Yeah. Um, which on top of the the little clothes that they they kind of for pride and everything for children, um, they uh, there was one that's like um, Satan respects pronouns. I think was the was the little outfit, you know. Which, you know, why why wouldn't you want to see your mm. your four year old glorifying Satan? I mean, I, that's 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 great, isn't it? It's not just Target now. Coles is doing it, and PetSmart. Now, I assume that there are gender dysphoric pets or something, but they're also caught up in this. Well, my, my cats are non-binary, so, you know. Um, what are their pronouns? Um, meow and meow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I know, it's, it's harsh. So, um, anyway, one other story that I also shared with you guys this week that I thought was worth mentioning on the show was... Um, you know, State Farm uh, announcing that they're not going to be offering any homeowner policies in California anymore, citing primarily catastrophic wildfires. And uh, of course, you have the leftists out there, uh, you know, the other environmentalist wackos blaming climate change. But of course, that's really precisely the problem is the environmentalist wackos have gotten their way in California, starting at the top with Gavin Newsom. Um, they haven't manage their forests properly, uh, doing things like controlled burns and, and whatnot to protect people and their, their homes and their communities. And so now you have arguably, I think, the number one insurer for homeowners in the country that's you know going to be pulling out, not offering new policies to anybody there. Reap what you sow. Yep. But somehow the system won't collapse. Somehow California will pull through. Either the force yeah. will offer policies or the government will offer policies. Well, their government already does offer policies, which is part of the problem. I mean, the insurance industry, like healthcare, is one of the most regulated in the country. As we know, there's no free market in it. And eventually, I think that's what you're going to see in, in states like California. The government's going to completely take it over. Um, the two COVID headlines that I wanted to mention, this one's a real shocker. Israeli data show zero young, healthy individuals died of COVID-19. I know that's a Saw hard that. number to remember. The number is zero. Equivocal? No. Well, definitely, definitely not uh, a gold standard Pfizer study, that's for sure. I mean, it, it, it's almost like, um, you know, some random guy just counted death records uh, rather than the gold standard Pfizer double blind placebo controlled. Um, the drug is always safe and effective that, that we get from our uh, ruling class. You know, I'm not seeing a lot of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, come on, not clap back. I forget the word I'm looking for. The Israelis being so upset because Israel was locked down, not quite as tight as Australia, but pretty horribly for a very, very long time in really draconian ways. I remember the, you can't go 100 feet from your house stuff and all that. And you really wonder, is Israel or are Israelis going to be infuriated like they are for some other ridiculous things? Answer, probably not. And the other headline is Bill Maher, who I can't stand, but these MFers had the data. 
he rips COVID experts for lockdowns. Now, I seem to remember that there were people saying this two or three years ago, and I don't remember Bill Maher believing them. So I guess that speaks to everybody's going to say we were always on the other side. Well, maybe, maybe he, he actually changed his mind. A little bit. He went skeptical a little bit earlier than most liberals, I would say. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I advocated for the 15 days to slow the spread back in March of uh, you know 2020, and I admitted that I was wrong. Um, that was obviously a mistake, and uh, not just a mistake by what they knew at the time, um, but obviously it was exactly as Ed Maslisch said, it was the thin edge of the wedge. And uh, now luckily only like, you know, there are all sorts of rules, but you know, and unless you like went into a hospital and had to, or had to go into the hospital, most of the, most of these stupid rules didn't affect you if you weren't in a big city because it locked down by the blue mayors and blue governors. I mean, it, if you were in, like Syracuse, New York, was was it really just as awful as uh, as in New York City? Or and certainly here in Fairfax, there were a couple of days where the rules were incredibly stupid, but not that much, you know. And I can't imagine in Wyoming or Idaho the rules were obeyed at all ever. I mean, we we think about it because you're in New York and here I'm near DC, and you know, went to my doctor today, walked in, no mask mandate. First time, she was a, definitely a uh, a holdover. I mean, she kept masking. Now she still had a mask on, and I I teased her, of course, because that's what I do. But I thank God that even even she has allowed people not to wear masks in her office. Getting back to normal. Um, you know, we were speaking about imports into Japan before. I think we should import something out of Japan. Didn't they have some kind of um, was the word I'm looking for? Idea, solution for people who horrifically gaslighted their population into horrible, horrible failures. Wasn't there something their leaders were expected to do? Indeed. And I, I think uh, we should uh, adopt a lot of Japanese policies like no immigration and um, Harry Carey for leaders who, uh, or seppuku if you're going to be modern, or leaders who fail to deliver on their not only fail to deliver, who lead people to destruction. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, Ed M. Um, I think the Target story is a bigger story than than people, than, you know, than we've given credit to today. Um, I think that slowly but surely our side is waking up. I don't know if, if it's going to be enough and if it's going to be fast enough, but um, we have power on our side and we have truth on our side. So. Uh, whether we do anything, you know, whether we succeed, I don't know. Um, there, there, there needs to be pushback, and they're starting to be pushback. How far, you know, how successful will be will is an open question, but um, I think it's a good story. It's a great story. I mean, we're actually in a culture war because people are fighting back from both sides. Bongino made an interesting point today. I haven't had time to think if I agree or not, but he was upset that the Toronto Blue Jays player who had spoken out pro-Christian, anti-woke, then had to do a hostage video and apologize to everybody. 
And Bongino took the uh, position of, if you're not going to stick with it, you're making much more harm by doing and apologizing, keep your mouth shut. He, he does have a point. I don't know if he's totally correct, but apparently can nobody- Never, never ever can, apologize. It's, can you, it's, can you explain that story? What story? The, the one that you're referring to. What was the tweet? I just know okay. some Toronto Blue Jay baseball players spoke out against one of the woke things that, that happened in baseball. It was something in okay. question. I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was the Dodgers. A, a day later, he was forced to do a press conference and, mm -hmm. and say, no, I love everybody. I'm inclusive. Our baseball park is open to everybody. I mean, it was really, you know, the deer in the headlight kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess he has an interesting point if you're not going the distance. You know, you're doing more damage to the cause because, like Ed said, there are people fighting back, and it's definitely having an impact. And the other side is still fighting back. I mean, they're all over target for giving in in certain areas, and hopefully, our side doesn't give in. If you apologize, you feed the beast, and um, not just against yourself, but against others. Do you have um, stores in England doing this kind of stuff now, like Tesco or something? Um, not as not as obtrusively, but uh, I'm I'm sure they'll do pride displays. But um, so far we haven't had any stories along the same lines as the US ones. I think they're just a bit more subtle about it. In the they uh, they did push really obviously Black Lives Matter, and and that was everywhere, and that was in a lot of stores. Um, and you had kind of big notices about Tesco's uh, race policies and, you know, how they uh, don't want any racists in there except the ones that hate white people. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, but, but generally our stores have been a little bit more subtle about it than the U.S. ones. Daniel, what do you think of Trump saying that uh, we shouldn't be attacking these corporations, that... Some of them give money to Republicans that uh, it's just not a Republican thing to do. Uh, I can see the, the the kind of Republican argument for that, but it's not one I'd agree with. You know, there's things I disagree with Trump about, but um, I just think overall he is the strongest candidate by a, a, a big distance still. And, uh, and the, the level of hate against him and the, uh, the level of attempts to stop him uh, still confirmed to me that he is the biggest threat to them. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that's helpful. If, if I was advising him, it's one of the things I'd say, well, no, actually that battle has to be fought. See, Daniel, the thing I disagree with you is the press desperately wants him to be nominated mm -hmm. because they are going to destroy him at a level we've never seen before. And that's why they're going to push him all the way to the end of the primary season. So we're oh, yeah, a balanced uh, thing here. But it's almost immaterial. Either way, they certainly don't want him to be president again. And they will do everything in their power to prevent that. <laughs> they they um, can easily because... make him not president. They've already proven that. But they would love to have him to beat up. I just think all this talk about Trump and DeSantis and the crowded field... It's all just talk. They need to get on a debate stage and we need to start seeing their commercials and they need to start taking public positions and being asked tough questions and either answering tough questions or dodging tough questions. 
And when they do that, then then we'll know for sure. I mean, you know, I'm a DeSantis guy. Daniel is a Trump guy. I mean, I'm not set in stone on anything. I mean, I want to hear how they answer the tough questions. And I think that's really what we need to see happen. And it won't happen until the end of the summer or sometime. You know, but I don't know whether they'll. If, I mean, if uh, I was more, tough questions I... will happen ever. When will they get tough questions? I mean, we think that Megyn Kelly's question, like "Why do you hate women?" or whatever that nonsense that spewed out of her mouth um, in one of the Trump debates, was a tough question. But no, I mean, that's not a tough question. I'm not you talking know, about why... the moderators, Ed. I'm talking about in the back and forth between them. I mean, you know, like. Tulsi yeah, Gabbard I mean, is the one who who uh, challenged uh, Kamala, right? Kamala right, and Joe Biden. And Ron Paul ruined, um, you know, uh, Giuliani's uh, record. So, it, but that's if you have debates, which the Republicans don't seem like they're going to have. I mean, maybe there'll be a, a debate without Trump. Um, I don't know whether Trump, the narcissist, would be able to put up with that. But um, if I were DeSantis, I would welcome a debate with all of the also rands but maybe he's too scared to i i don't know you know i don't know what's going to happen i i think the whole republican party is just completely dysfunctional and so it i i have no idea what will happen if i was if i was on the dissenters team and i was a dissenters advisor i'd, I'd be terrified of him getting in with trump in a debate absolutely terrified because whether you like trump or not uh he's a natural bulldozer and he's yeah. comfortable doing it and he knows what he's doing and he will just run over people the and problem i have with that daniel is, yeah. is, is stiff as a board with no charisma and very little work. ability to think on his why, why is calling people names considered oh. a debater i by the way if, if i were on a stage with a 70 some year old man running for president and he called me a stupid name I would literally just die. But he mind. doesn't just call people names, does he? He's actually quite quick-witted at times with some of the replies. But he, he's the only one I can ever remember in history calling people names. And that is just a two-year-old behavior. And people need to just laugh at it. It should yeah. not be We, we talked about that, we talked about that last week, Stephen, remember? What about, Daniel, what about the first debate between Trump and Biden? Go back and watch it. Trump was as awful as I've ever seen anyone yeah. debate in that first debate. And he tried to bulldoze over him in that debate. It's Ma, terrible. You know, Muhammad Ali had bad fights. You know, nobody's going to be perfect all the time. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know, I would I would be thinking that's one of my greatest strengths if I was uh, on the Trump team, and I'd be looking forward to it. I don't think I don't think that's going to work. Uh, we talked about it last week. I think DeSantis has to approach it right and try to rise above it to some extent. And I think he's capable of doing it. I, I I wouldn't be fearing Trump if I were DeSantis. I mean, I just saw I just saw a DeSantis saying that you know just yesterday I think it was or earlier today, and um, you know, someone had shared this saying that he was kind of crushing it, and it was one of his speeches. He's got he's prepared for it. He's given it, and the 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 air of of nervousness was off of, coming off of him. And I, I just don't think he's a natural the way Trump is. I'll and just say you this. can call it you can call it petty, and you know there's people who are turned off by name calling. There's just as many people, probably more people, who see that as a blow landed, and and especially when he does the comebacks, 
you know, the the sometimes Trump thinks very fast with a comeback. Daniel, I can't see I can't see a blow landing saying that a senator's father killed JFK. I don't see that as a blow landing. I think that is a disqualifying statement for anybody in public life. Let me say this, Daniel. A good businessman understands that you don't sell ice in the summer with the same message that you try and sell ice in the winter. And what worked in 2016 is not working and not going to work in 2023-24. And Trump is supposed to be a good businessman. He's supposed to understand that the political wins today are not the same as they were then. It doesn't mean, unlike most of the people in the DeSantis camp, I don't think he's unelectable. But I do think that the political wins are very different. And he's trying to sell ice in the winter now. And until he figures out figures that out and comes up with some other message that resonates, I'm, I'm not confident for him. I mean, I don't know that he's going to be an early dropout, but I don't think that he's going to have the success that he thinks he's going to have. That's that's just my take. I, on. I think the I think the um, the biggest worry with him is is not him. It's uh, what Ed alluded to earlier, and um, the money behind him, because DeSantis has a sea of money that he doesn't have. Um, from back a billionaire, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, yeah, he's a billionaire. Have a lot but, of money but, you know, Host, I mean, he wants to do a lot to save America. I don't think he wants to burn through his entire personal fortune. Um, you know, I think that it's. I think message is more important than money. I mean, money is important, but uh, there's a there's a, a long history of candidates that had lots of money and bad ideas that went nowhere, and there aren't too many examples of candidates with bad ideas and a lot of money that won. There are some, but there aren't that many. I think if he leans into everything that's been thrown at him, I don't see anyone else being able to beat him. If he if he leans into it and says, "Look, who has who has suffered this for you lot? Who has who has gone through this? Has has DeSantis gone through this? No, he hasn't. You know, if he leans into that and gone leans through into what? the gone through what? Sorry, gone through what? Well, the lawfare, the, the the kind of level of abuse, the constant harassment. So what? So you're not to get him in prison. You can't um, answer, you know, Daniel, what made him qualify to be president the first time? Um, answer, nothing. Because everything they say qualifies him is how badly he was treated as president. No, I'm not saying that's the only thing that qualifies him. But if you combine that with the record of achievement, then you've got a, a, a background that no one else can match. It, it's going to be interesting. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see if the Republican candidates want to challenge his record, because his record is definitely got some places where it can be challenged. So we'll see. And I hope I not think only the, the only place him, where it can really seriously be challenged is COVID. And that was something that the entire Western world got wrong. Um, what about all there's, the, there's all plenty, the of, there's plenty of things COVID. you can say um, about Trump's record. No, I think I think what he's most what he's most vulnerable on is he may have been the absolute worst president in history in picking personnel. And all the good personnel that he's picked are he's alienated. 
So like he's I, not going to get. I don't Kaylee see that as a big that. issue, even in the primary. I think it's a very big issue because that's what sunk his presidency. He ran on the fact that he's going to bring in the best team of outsiders. He's a businessman. You know, that's, that's, that's 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 um you know criticizing Jesus for Judas. Um, you, know, you can't. No, because he crumbled on day one. He's not responsible for the fact that he was facing the most sustained, uh, gigantic, uh, coordinated um, sabotage uh, efforts that any president has faced. He's not responsible for that. I'm sorry. Uh, who you know, who, who hired Ivanka and Jared to run the government? Was that Comey or? Who, yeah, and what did Jared do? Jared, you know, Jared may be a liberal and he may have been more interested in uh, um uh, things that we're not interested in, but he delivered the Abraham Accords. Okay. No, that, that's a Trump got out of a liberal. liberal a huge Republican achievement. Okay. Who put Chris Christie in charge of personnel? <laughs> <laughs> the the issue is that I think uh, Donald himself, um, you know, runs his business as a family business, you know, and I think when um, he has, you know, has to point 4,000 people um, in the plum book, he, he just, he doesn't know 4,000 people, you know what I mean? So he just does the same thing. He appoints a family and, and, uh, and the rest, he like, you know, appoints whoever Mitch McConnell tells him to appoint, basically. By the way, uh, Newsom's ex the other day really mouthed off something sad and, whether I like her or not, she just came up with one of those two-year-old lines as well against DeSantis. I don't know what's wrong with when did American politics go that way? Who who is who said this? Kimberly Guilfoyle. Oh yeah. I mean, is this what we're down to calling people names? I think they I think there was a charm in 2016 to get somebody that had no filter. Um in involved and i think again i think he did a pretty good job for the first three years until covid came um if he were to just do what he did 2016 or 2017 18 and 19 in a, in a second term i'd vote for him i'd crawl over logan glass to vote for him i just i'm not entirely sure that he's up to it to be honest I, I don't know. I'm not voting in the Republican primary. As I said, I'm voting for Kennedy in the Democratic primary. Um, so you guys have to all uh, argue over uh, DeSantis for the primary. It's just so, so disheartening, really. Oh, boy. We should, we should wrap up and, and continue this. Oh, I'm sure we will. It's yeah. going to be a very long season. Ice right. in the summer yeah. versus ice in the winter, my friends. Oh, my yeah. one, my one comment is: if there's anyone listening to this with a young, young kid, don't take them to see the new Little Mermaid soulless race swap garbage that it is. Just please stop. Don't don't go to any more Disney movies. Thank you. Make Disney Target again. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here. A wonderful show. We'll be back next week at our regular time. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Keep your eyes peeled out for Alu's new book, which is coming out very soon, and Daniel's new book coming out, I believe, in September. Hopefully, we'll have a book signing here in the States for him as soon as I can get my yacht to uh, go pick him up. Have a wonderful evening. <laughs>